KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Friday, January 8th. A California GOP leader talks about the future for the party. That's next. But first, let's do the headlines. San Diego County public health officials reported more than 3,800 new COVID-19 infections and 47 deaths on Thursday. Thursday's new case count was the third highest single day total reported. Officials say there are only 40 staffed ICU beds left in the county and otherwise almost 80% of all hospital beds are occupied. California has been issuing waivers allowing hospitals to temporarily bypass strict nurse-to-patient ratio rules amid a massive surge in coronavirus cases. But nurses say having to take on more patients is causing burnout and it's affecting patient care. 250 out of about 400 hospitals in California have been granted the waivers, which are valid for 60 days. The waivers allow ICU nurses to care for three instead of two ICU patients and six instead of three emergency room patients. San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria says the city will host several public forums in the coming months to give residents an opportunity to give feedback on the city's electricity and gas franchise agreements with SDG&E. The first virtual meetings will be hosted by the City Council's Environment Committee on January 28th and February 25th. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. The nation is still grappling with the aftermath of the violence on Wednesday when supporters of President Donald Trump raided the U.S. Capitol. Cap Radio's politics reporter Nicole Nixon spoke with the former executive director of the California Republican Party, Cynthia Bryant, about her reaction to the event and what it means for the future of the party. I think it was clearly an insurrection. It was truly the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen um, happen in the Capitol. You know, I I started watching it early. So I turned the TV on and I watched the president's speech. And I was, I mean, honestly appalled at what he was saying because I felt as though he was pushing those people to go up there to the Capitol. He also turned on the vice president, which I was shocked about because Vice President Pence has been one of his greatest supporters. So I immediately was very concerned. And then, you know, the coverage switched to what was going on in the Capitol. And I just, the more I saw what happened is the more sad I felt for our republic and for our democracy. Those people that were going into that Capitol, they're not Republicans in my mind. How much responsibility do you think Trump bears in all of this? He incited that crowd and urged them to go up there. I think there was other elements involved in it that really got the violence going to the level that it that it got to i mean that this woman that woman lost her life today and no americans have ever stormed the capital like that and it i just think the president has to take he needs to take 100% of the responsibility i really feel 
passionately that what happened was inexcusable. And I've already spent the last, you know, the four years. I mean, it's been, if you're a Republican, you're racist. And I think I just hit my limit today. I just, I am ready for the inauguration. I'm ready to turn the tables and start going after Joe Biden on on legitimate grounds for the policies is going to put into place. I've heard that sentiment, you know, a lot that people are hoping that things will kind of just go back to normal on on January 21st. Do you really expect that to happen? Are you more nervous for what the rest of the year holds? I think it's too soon for me to really say the answer that question because my hope, and I'm always optimistic, my hope is, is that, that this ends the notion of a, that there's going to be a second United States, that we're going to be divided. And I think that's my greatest fear is that those that have been so supportive of the president to the extreme are going to resist the idea of coming back together again. It's gotten so partisan, um, it's, it makes it really difficult to work in politics. Like it, it wore me out, honestly. I was gonna ask also what you thought the future of the party holds. I think it's a very important question that you know those of us that have worked in Republican politics for a long time need to ask ourselves, what is our future? If the Republican party was represented in that building today by those people, that's a party I probably wouldn't want to be associated with. But quite honestly, I think as I l- listen to what these members of Congress are saying and what various people are saying in social media, I feel more optimistic that the party can recover from uh, from the 2020 elections and recover from uh, this divisiveness that we've had throughout the country. And that, But that assumes that also that the Democrats are willing to come to the table. That was Cynthia Bryant, who recently left the California Republican Party as its executive director, speaking with Cap Radio's Nicole Nixon. President Trump has now said that there will be an orderly transition of power, but that's not enough to stop the calls for Trump to step down or be removed from office before Joe Biden's inauguration on January 20th. Politicians, editorial boards, and former allies of the president say it's time for him to go. But that's not a simple proposition. Glenn Smith is a professor of law at California Western School of Law, and he spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Kavanaugh about the proposition. Here's that interview. The procedure provides that uh, the vice president and a majority of the cabinet can certify to Congress that the president is, quote, unfit, arguably implies heedless disregard of the rule of law, et cetera, et cetera. The process is that the vice president and a majority of the cabinet officials, they certify to Congress that the president's unfit. If the president then certifies that, no, I'm fit, Congress has four days to consider it. And if a supermajority, two thirds in both the House and the Senate vote to permanently declare the president unfit, it can be done. Could that process be accomplished in the less than two weeks remaining in Trump's presidency? In time wise, it could. And that's one of the interesting things. Of course, it requires uh, some political assumptions and political will shown by the vice president and the cabinet. And, you know, you got to wonder after last night's vote where more than 100 House members still walk the plank for the president, whether in fact there would be a two-thirds majority to remove him under the 25th Amendment. But at least in terms of the process, that would appear to be the more, the, the more fast-track process compared to, say, impeachment, which again could be done, but it, there's just certain internal procedures 
in Congress and an ability in Congress for people to stop the impeachment process or delay the trial and all that. So it could be done, requires an extreme political will and consensus that uh, haven't seen so far. You know, we were in a weird constitutional place yesterday because it seems from reliable reports that it was Vice President Pence who called out the National Guard to protect the Capitol. Can a vice president take over like that? Again, you get one of these classic definitions between the formalities and the the pragmatism. The framers of the Constitution tried to create important checks and balances and formalities, but they recognized that sometimes practicalities, including insurrection or the country's under attack or whatever, require extraordinary measures. So I don't think there was a technical right of uh, Vice President Pence to do what he did, but I think it would be understandable that everyone involved would think that somebody needed to do something and bring bring calm to a dangerous situation. Is there a legal way short of impeachment or removal that can put a check on his taking some final destructive action? Generally, no. Generally, the framers of the Constitution created a system that assumed a minimum level of good faith and goodwill and a minimum level of functional competence for, in, the, in the high-ranking officials. And uh, there's not any you know, formal procedure. I would hope that you know the Joint Chiefs of Staff and military officials and people in the White House are, are doing, again, pragmatic things like um, hiding the nuclear code or telling the president what he wants to hear rather than something that would make him more uh, dangerous. But uh, But that's all sort of practical, and it depends on the ingenuity and and goodwill of people rather than something that's provided in the Constitution or the law. It sounds like you are also concerned about the final days of this presidency. I I don't see how you could not be concerned after uh, what we saw yesterday. I mean, I never, I was a former Senate staffer, Maureen, back in the old days, and I never thought I would see either, number one, uh, an armed mob attacking the place that I used to work in regards so significantly, or that the president of the United States would egg it on and senators. So I'm, I'm, you know, I don't think we can take anything for granted. I think rationality is going to hold and, and we're going to hopefully get out of this without any additional worsening of the situation. But uh, I think people that are concerned have a right to be concerned. That was Glenn Smith, professor of law at California Western School of Law, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Kavanaugh. A San Diego woman has been identified as the person shot by police on Wednesday as she stormed the nation's capital. KPBS reporter Steve Walsh says the Air Force veteran was a vocal follower of alt-right conspiracies. Capitol Police confirmed 35-year-old Ashley Babbitt was killed by their officer as she pushed through the Capitol with several others involved in the insurrection. Video shows her climbing through a broken window leading to congressional offices when their officer fired. Witness John Sullivan describes the scene to CNN. The second that she climbed through the window, she got shot like right in the neck area, fell backwards, and I just remember like the sense of shock. Babbitt spent four years in the Air Force before ending her career in 2016 as a security officer in the D.C. Air National Guard. Her service record shows she deployed to Iraq. In San Diego, Babbitt was an ardent Trump supporter. 
In 2018, she repeatedly ranted on Twitter. And so uh, Pelosi and Schumer get in the office and they don't want the media there, which of course they don't because that would require transparency and honesty. And we all know that they're not on that program. She retweeted prominent supporters of the shadowy QAnon and the widely discredited Pizzagate conspiracy. Babbitt remarried in 2019 and ran Fowler's Pool Service and Supply in Spring Valley with her husband Aaron. The Capitol Police officer who fired his weapon has been placed on administrative leave pending investigation. Coming up, school superintendents are pushing back against the governor's plan to reopen schools this year. That story next, just after this break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. San Diego Unified School District Superintendent Cindy Martin is among seven superintendents from large urban districts criticizing the governor's new plan to reopen elementary schools. KPBS education reporter Joe Hong has more. Under Governor Gavin Newsom's Safe Schools for All plan, a district can receive up to millions in additional funding if it's able to begin in-person instruction at elementary schools. But only districts and counties with a seven-day average of fewer than 28 COVID-19 cases per 100,000 residents qualify for this funding. In a letter sent to Newsom on Wednesday, Martin and the other superintendents say as it stands, the plan disproportionately benefits wealthier districts with lower case counts. Our tax dollars are going to go to the parts of the state that need it the least. And that's not good. The letter from the superintendents also states that the governor needs a more detailed statewide plan for COVID-19 testing before bringing students back to campus. The County Board of Supervisors are set to consider a proposal to make the county governance more transparent. KPBS's Jacob Ayer reports. Supervisors Nathan Fletcher and Joel Anderson say they want county records to be more transparent so San Diegans can feel at ease with their leaders in charge. Some of the things they want to improve include the Public Records Act portal, email retention policies, the annual county budget, and board meetings. And Fletcher says they want to form a new transparency committee to handle it. The group that we're forming can look at anything uh, and they can go out and get public input about what would you like to see change in your county government. The Board of Supervisors will vote on the policy during next Tuesday's meeting of the board. 
Governor Gavin Newsom is expected to unveil his budget proposal today. It marks the start of a six-month process where state leaders decide how to spend California's taxpayers' money. Cap Radio's Nicole Nixon reports. Newsom has already dropped some hints about what to expect. He's called for billions of dollars to support economic relief and school reopenings during the pandemic. There's also wildfire and other public health-related costs, but it's unclear how much Newsom will want to spend. Last year, the state dealt with a record-breaking deficit. Thanks to strong economic recovery among wealthier Californians, state fiscal analysts expect a windfall between $15 and $26 billion. But Newsom and state lawmakers may have different ideas for how to spend that money. The governor's January budget is just a wish list. He'll spend the next six months negotiating with legislative leaders on a final budget. A lawsuit has been filed against the Stockton Police Department in the beating of a black teenager. John Burris, who once defended Rodney King, announced the lawsuit at Stockton City Hall earlier this week. He unveiled large photos of 17-year-old Devin Carter with severe bruising on his face and back. Some showed shoe prints on his body. The incident happened on December 31st after Carter was stopped for speeding and evading. Burris says officers dragged him out of the car and began beating him as he lay on the ground. These were like a pack of wolves who had ascended upon a piece of meat and they each were going to take a bite out of him. These officers took him down. The worst thing you can do to someone is to kick them or to stomp them because then you're showing them you have no respect for them as a human being. Stockton Police Chief Eric Jones said in a statement that an investigation is underway and that four officers have been placed on administrative leave. Political demonstrations in D.C. and California this week, on top of the pandemic, could be causing high levels of stress for families. Child health advocate Donna Sneveringer says for young children, parents should try to limit their exposure to the news and political conversations to lessen their anxiety. Because they are always listening. They sense our discomfort. Sneveringer says older children are a bit of a different story. The news for them can be a teaching moment. You know, my own daughter is a teenager and it really is an opportunity to talk about the importance of the pillars and foundations of our government and why it's important to pay attention to this all the time, not just when there's a crisis. Sneveringer says it's normal for kids to act out when the world around them is changing. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon. Hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com.